the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. We're back today with Don Morton-Rias in part two of the NCCPA interview. Last topic. Again, not an easy one, but I think one that needs to be addressed. Um, I was looking at the uh, NCCPA 2019 study, the uh, characteristics of PAs that are certified, and I read that the percentage of female to male PAs is greater than two to one. In fact, it's 70% female, 30% male, which I was not aware of, actually. Um, How has that pattern developed over the years? It's very interesting, and yes, you're absolutely right. It has shifted. In the early days of the profession, it was just the opposite, heavily male-dominated. And that that comes from, you know, who the early PAs were. The early PAs were military personnel, which were primarily men. Uh, I think the profession has become very attractive to women because of its, its flexibility, because... Uh, you're able to to acquire this credential with just two additional years or two and a half years of education and training. And so for many of those who would have pursued medicine as physicians or osteopaths or pharmacists, um, you know, have chosen our profession because of the speed with which you can go from being interested to being practicing, to being a practicing PA. Uh, and also the ways in which the uh, the market has utilized PAs in full-time and part-time uh, capacities. And, and, you know, I know f- even for myself, when I first became a practicing PA, I worked, you know, at least one and a half jobs on <laughs> uh, right. positions because, you know, you could, you could work per diem and so forth. So I think, though, and then at times when I was raising infants, you know, would work part-time, you know, so there, there's that flexibility that being a PA enables us to enjoy, and I think that has helped um, make the profession very appealing to women. Um, so it has been an interesting interesting shift. As the applicant pool has shifted from military personnel to more traditional college students, uh, you've seen the shift in the gender as well. Uh, you know, we're also seeing at the undergraduate level, and this harkens back to my, my experience as an educator at SUNY Downstate, that more of the college students are female um, across the board. And so the, the applicant pool to PA school is, is higher, you know, more has more reputa- representation of women. So I think there's a, there are a lot of social factors, a lot of factors that have contributed to that shift in our profession. Um, and so, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. And so in many programs, uh, being a male is, is being underrepresented, representing <laughs> underrepresented groups. Right. <laughs> um, and so that, that is, a, that is a shift. Um, I hope that programs would be working towards, um, incentivizing or helping to uh, increase awareness of this profession among uh, male applicants or, or um, male undergraduates so that they would see this also as a, as a very viable profession. But it's an, interesting, it's an interesting shift and an interesting dynamic 
uh, for the profession. And it is, yes, in fact, <laughs> more heavily female than male. There are, there are also statistics in medicine also that support that for the first time in the last few, the last the entering classes in the last few years have been 50-50 uh, male, female, and in some, in some universities, more women than men. So I don't think this is isolated to the PA profession, but I do think our proportions are a little bit greater, perhaps owing to the flexibility of the uh, market for PAs. We do an annual practice and salary survey, and for 2019, we were about 50-50. But I asked our researcher to do another question uh, for the participants and break down the salary by gender. You know, accounting for age, time in practice, and similar variables. He did a breakdown, and would you like to guess what he found? I I am certain. (laughs) You know what it is, yeah. I know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It, and yeah. what was amazing to me was it wasn't an insignificant number. It was ten to twenty thousand dollars difference in annual salary between male and female practicing PAs in orthopedics, which I just was amazed. Uh, maybe that's my bias from being a male. I don't know, but uh, I I thought, wow, you know, what is what is going on here? And I'm just curious, has the NCCPA investigated this or uh, have you looked at anything like this, uh, and what can we do about it? Well, this is—I think this is uh, this is shocking in some respects, but not shocking in others. This is yet another example of inequity that exists in our society that has has not had light shown on it previously, and not in any real way. And so, I do believe that this is like the previous topic we talked about another opportunity for us to pull the curtain back and to shine the light on on this inequity. This is well established, and it's evident in our data, too. I mean, PAs complete surveys for us. They update their profiles annually or every other year, rather, when they're, you know, and logging their CME. And we see that there, and we ask about salary, we see that there's a difference. We report our findings in our statistical uh, you know, a quarterly statistical reports. Each of those statistical reports emphasize different things. The first one in the year is a full profile of the of the profession as of December 31st the previous year. And the subsequent reports focus on specialty and and by state, and then uh, recent recently certified PAs. And we're seeing absolutely the same thing that there is a, a salary discrepancy. So the first step that we've embarked on is really just highlighting it, putting it out there, making it visible. Uh, you know, in medicine we say you can't treat the illness that you don't know or the diagnosis that you don't know. Um, and so putting light on it is, is one step. And oftentimes when we publish our, report, our statistical reports, the media then notices it and contacts us for um, for either statements or we will we'll write subsequent articles about some of those findings. And the salary focus, and maybe it's because of some of the <laughs> some of the journalists who have selected uh, who've chosen to write about us. The the uh, articles have focused on the salary for the profession. Like, oh my goodness, PAs are making so much money is kind of what those articles have said. Right. Uh, that the salaries are 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 high, 
what they haven't emphasized is a discrepancy between the genders. Um, and so I do think there's an opportunity for us all to promote or to make it visible that that discrepancy exists. I believe that the, and the uh, AAPA is also, uh, they also conduct salary surveys and, and publish those findings. And so to the extent that we can triangulate the, um, the data to make policymakers, employers, and others aware of this discrepancy and that this is unacceptable, this is a, this is a form of inequity that is, it should not be tolerated. Um, perhaps is a, is a first step, but you're absolutely right. This is not a secret, and it's becoming more visible to uh, you know to the public and certainly to the profession uh, as we continue to publish reports. We've talked about a big perspective and how we can address it. As far as an individual perspective, the female PA who's new to a practice, what are their options as far as negotiating for salary and benefits, um, or what thoughts do you have on how they can hopefully get some level of equality when it comes to salary benefits and similar things? That's an excellent question. And I think one of the first steps is is empowering uh, new graduates and, and uh, PAs seeking positions with information, arming them with what, um, what males are making in that, what they're earning in that same role, you know, comparing entry-level PA salaries for men and entry-level PA salaries in that discipline and in that region, uh, you know, to, to what they're offering for, for women because, or offering to women. I think if you come equipped with those data, that speaks volumes. Um, and, and even if you feel, and oftentimes new graduates or new PAs feel hesitant to advocate for themselves in an assertive way because they want the job or they don't want to be perceived as being too pushy. And that's, a, that's a, you know, we have to overcome that. We have to find our voice. And, and perhaps in, we, in our leadership roles, we can help equip PAs with data so that they are armed with information and, and able to respectfully raise the question that this is what males make in this setting, in this discipline, in this region of the country, uh, and, and I think given my experience or level of, of uh, clinical preparation, this is a more commensurate salary. And so I think they ha that we have to continue to make those data available to, uh, you know, to PAs and, and continue to shine that, that light on that. Um, and also, you know, we realize that people make individual decisions and some are more assertive than others. And as PAs, we're often still working towards acceptance. We're still grateful to be around the table. Uh, and I think as the profession continues to mature, we, we need to know our worth as a profession, that we contribute significantly to the revenue of a practice, that we expand the services or what the services that can be provided in a given day or a given month. And for that, we are entitled to or ex or should be compensated in a way that's commensurate with that comp you know contribution regardless of gender um, and, but I understand and agree and, and certainly even in my own experience I don't think I was always as assertive as I perhaps could have been in advocating for myself and I think that's something that we as women and as PAs need to continue to work towards overcoming 
Um, it's it's not something that perhaps comes easy to everyone, uh, but it is something that I think we all need to work on. Absolutely. It, it's very difficult, I think, for many people to uh, try to negotiate salary and try to ask for what they're worth. And I would just tell people that when you are presented with that interview, when you're doing your uh, negotiation, that you use some of this data and you say, hey, you know, I'm worth this. And, you know, I, I had somebody tell me once that you, you don't know if they'll say yes or no until you ask. So it never hurts to ask. Uh, so I would, and if you don't ask, the answer is always no, right? Always no. That's right. That's right. So uh, definitely keep that in mind. Well, Dawn, I appreciate your time today. Uh, we've covered a lot of territory here, and it's been wonderful, very uh, helpful, uh, very good stuff. And I, I really thank you. I, I just am really grateful for the chance to to chat with you and and to relate with your with your members and to to answer questions and to have important dialogue about things that affect our profession and and patients that the patients that we care for. So this has really been an honor for me, and I just would be remiss if I didn't thank you for extending this invitation and opportunity to me. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. And, and I think it's great for our members as well to know that there's a real person here, a real PA, uh, someone who cares about our issues as PAs. And uh, I really appreciate your time and I appreciate your candor and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining the Ortho PAC podcast. We also welcome you to visit our website, paos.org, where members can download virtual conference content and get Category 1 CME. Also, if you're a non-member, please visit the aapa.org Learning Central for the PAOS virtual content.